I remember going to college many years ago now, uh, and as a freshman, one of the first classes I had, there was a professor, his name was Roland Simmeling, and uh, he asked a question very early on in the class that just kind of rocked my world. Um, He was talking and he says, what gift has God given you? And he pointed right to me. What gift has God given you? And I said, well, I, I, I'm pretty good at basketball. Um, and I, yeah, I, I relate to people fairly well. And he said, no, no, Mark, I'm not talking about natural talents, which God gives to all mankind. I'm talking about spiritual gifts that are given to every new believer in Christ by the Holy Spirit to be used for ministry. I, I, I didn't know what to say. Unfortunately, he went on and I didn't have to, to say anything else. But, but I had grown up, you know, in Sunday school, uh, family, always in church. Uh, I had a lot of different teachers, had even participated in some ministry opportunities. But no one that I recalled ever taught me about spiritual gifts. And since then, I've discovered that there are many in the church who haven't heard teaching about spiritual gifts. Uh, in fact, uh, the Barna Research Group, they said recently, although 88% of born-again Christians have heard of spiritual gifts, only 39% can identify a spiritual gift that they believe they, pos- they possess. And they said only a small proportion of adults in the church are actively seeking to minister in ways which would capitalize upon their giftedness. Another way to say this uh, is that our churches often resemble a football game. Uh, Bud Wilkinson, former football coach, he said one day, a professional football game is a happening where thousands of spectators, desperately needing exercise, sit in the stands watching 22 men on the field desperately needing rest. And that's, that's not how the church should look. That's not how the church was intended to be. And so uh, this morning we're beginning a series on spiritual gifts. And the message uh, title this morning, and really the whole series title, is now about spiritual gifts, which is a quote from the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12.1. Because the, Corinth- the Corinthians were somewhat confused about spiritual gifts and how to express those both within the body of Christ and in the world around them. And so in this series we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians. But this morning we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-11. through 11. And before we read that, let me give you... Just a little bit of background on that. Um, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the disciples began to witness to their fellow Jews and then many followers of Jesus as the Messiah. And so the gospel began to spread into what we would today call the western coast of Turkey. And then home churches began springing up everywhere. And so about 30 years later, after the resurrection of Christ, Peter, who's living in the city of Rome writes this letter of encouragement and warning to the communities in the same region. And in 64 AD, the Roman Empire was ruled by Nero. And if you 
recognize that name, you remember that uh, he persecuted Christians uh, in, in, in harsh ways sometimes. And this was a Roman world of pagan gods. It was a world of fear and superstition. And so in the book of 1 Peter, Peter writes to these suffering believers, and he reminds them that Jesus had suffered unjustly at the hand of Rome during his time of earth, and that he would be with them now in the midst of their unjust suffering. And so it's a time in history where the world appears to be dark, and perhaps it reminds you of our time in some ways. But Peter encourages the believers to take the high road in their relationships with each other and with non-believers. And so 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 11. And then after that, this morning, I'm, I'm going to camp out on verse 10, because verse 10 is just packed. Uh, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and that they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God, If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter encourages this suffering Christian community. Verse 10, he says, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so in this very short verse, we see at least six truths, or at least I see at least six truths about spiritual gifts for all believers. Verse starts by saying, each one. Each one. So who are we talking about here? Well, if you dig into it, it refers to all the Christian community that Peter is writing to. It it refers to Jews and Gentiles who have proclaimed Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And once they declared their faith in Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, they became new creatures in Christ, and they were identified with or placed into the body of Christ. And so Paul defines this mystical body... uh, 
of Christ, and he does that to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. He says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there's a picture of the body of Christ. And and it's talked about in other places as well. But when the body of Christ refers to the whole company of believers. Paul began to give a clearer definition of the body of Christ. He writes to the Roman Christians about their spiritual gift and their spiritual gifts. He says in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. He continues this analogy of the body of Christ as he writes to the Corinthians, and he also taught that truth to the Ephesians, and he writes of the new oneness in Christ for Jews and Gentiles there. But again, this each one in verse 10, referring to all believers in Christ, saying that all believers are a part of this mystical body of Christ, which is made up of many members, and each member is very important to all the other members. So we're getting this picture of what we're a part of. And perhaps uh, the, the group that I'm going to teach after, after class is affecting my message here. But we, we're thinking about the church and how God has designed it and how everyone is connected, how everyone is important. All believers in Christ are an important part of the body. All believers. Let's continue in verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received. Notice here the past tense, received, which means it's already happened. Because, as Paul describes it, at the moment a believer places their faith in Christ Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, God sends His Holy Spirit to reside in them. And then, according to Paul, 1 Corinthians twelve seven, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good. So, the particular gifts that we receive are not, I'm talking spiritual gifts here, they're not the result of any choice that we make. But as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. And so the second truth we see here is that all believers receive from the Holy Spirit. So all believers in Christ are an important part of the body. All believers receive from the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, all believers receive a gift or gifts. Back to verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received. And and the word gift here in Greek is charisma. It means a gift of grace or a God-given ability for service. So when God in His grace sends His Holy Spirit to reside in a new believer, the Holy Spirit gives them their permanent spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts are exactly that. They're gifts. No one can work for them. No one deserves them. 
They're gifts given because of the grace of God. And once they are given, they're to be opened. They're to be investigated and developed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It continues in us. And so God doesn't just drop this gift, but by the Holy Spirit, He gives us the gift, and we continue developing that and working that out. So again, spiritual gifts are not natural talents. We do have natural talents as well. Um, and, and all people are given those, whether it's art or music or building or math or sports. But these are spiritual gifts that enrich the spirit of fellow believers. They bring blessings or conviction of sin to unbelievers with the hope that they will repent of their rejection of Christ as their Lord, with the hope that they will turn to Him as their Savior. And so, when believers begin to understand how God has given them spiritual gifts, we see not only the importance of discovering those gifts, but the importance of shaping our lives around them so that we can put them to the proper use within the church uh, for the glory of God and the benefit of others. And we will also discover that within the body of Christ, every member has a significant role for the welfare of the whole body. So not only does it change our view of ourselves and how we shape our lives, but we begin to see each other differently. We see each other and we go, I wonder what gift God has given them. I wonder how how that could appear. I wonder how great that would be for them to discover what God has given them, for them to open up their gift. But I fear that many uh, of the gifts that God has given are yet unopened or undiscovered. And I wonder if God could speak to us about gifts, what He would say. Rosalind Renshaw is an author, and in an article she tried to imagine this, that God was speaking. And he said, How come you've left so many gifts unopened on the floor? They have your name on them. They belong to you. They're yours for the taking. If only you will receive them. What is that you say? That they can't be yours? That you have your share already? Or they must be someone else's? There must be some mistake? You're afraid of what so-and-so will say when they see you unwrapping or using your gift? You fear their reaction or maybe their envy? No. Go ahead. Open the package. See what's inside the gift box. You'll be amazed at how I knew exactly what to give you, God says. The perfect fit for you right now. In fact, just what you've always wanted, but you didn't even know it. Go ahead. Open it up. Use it. You can trust me. I am the master gift giver, God says. I never make mistakes. I don't give the wrong size or color or fit. But please, hurry. Open it up. Enjoy it. Share it with others so that they can benefit from your gift too. That's my whole purpose for giving gifts, God says. Not for you to put them back in the box or to keep them safe or put them in a glass cabinet so that you can appreciate them. No. As I said, I... 
I, I see a number of unopened packages, gifts that are wrapped especially for you. But perhaps we don't open them. Perhaps we don't realize they're for us. Perhaps we're scared to discover what they are. Maybe that means too much work. I don't know. But, but they're gifts. And they're given by the Master Gift Giver. He knows what we need. He knows how He's created us. And I, I think the way for us to receive spiritual gifts is best demonstrated by watching children as they open up gifts at Christmas time. Don't usually see a child saying, Yeah, I don't know if I need that gift. Usually don't catch them saying, Yeah, how come I, it needs to be bigger? Or, is that all you're going to give to me? I hope they don't say that. They usually say, thank you. And when they see a gift, they usually want to rip right into it and open it up. And I think that's how we receive a gift. And, and, and the, the Scripture says that all of us receives at least one gift, and often several gifts. And so the fourth point from this passage, I believe, is that all believers should use their gift or their gifts. Verse 10 says, each one should use whatever gift he has received. Again, spiritual gifts are God-given abilities for the love and the power of our Lord to flow through us to the spiritual needs of the members of the body of Christ and to help others in their spiritual maturity as well as bring blessings and perhaps conviction to those who don't know the Lord Jesus. And so... A big problem, I believe, in the church of Jesus Christ today, not just our church, but, but all churches, is that the Lord, by His, His Holy Spirit, has given each new believer a spiritual gift, and either they don't realize it or they refuse to open it up. The tragic result of this passive view of gifts is that believers can become isolated from each other. And then the church ends up often as a small minority of doers and a large majority of viewers. Further, if we and the other church members don't know our spiritual gifts, the sad result is that we might end up trying to minister the love and grace of Christ in areas which we're not equipped to do. And you've probably seen that at times. And, and that stimulates jealousy and fear and competition and pride and all this kind of harm and confusion among the members of the body. Not to mention non-believers who are watching this from a, dist- a distance and, and, and just wondering, is this the way it's supposed to be? And so my encouragement this morning is to find your spiritual gift and to employ them, to begin using them. We've been given these gifts. Um, question for you this morning. Are these gifts given to us for God? Are they given for others? It's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Because it's a combination of that. Using our gifts give glory to God. But when we use our gifts for God... Often it makes us happier than anything else that we could do. And so we end up benefiting. But let's look at verse 10 again. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. 
So we see spiritual gifts are given to serve others. They're primarily not for ourselves. All believers are given gifts for others. That's point number five. It sounds pretty basic, but yet all the messages that we're receiving from our cultures encourage us to live for ourselves, to do our own thing as we want to do it in our own way, in our own schedule. But the reality is that God has made us for something much bigger than ourselves. And I'm thankful for that. He, he has designed us to live in community with one another. And the Holy Spirit has given us gifts that were meant to work in conjunction with the other gifts of the body. And this isn't easy. And it doesn't happen automatically. It's a work in progress. And I understand that. So, so believe me, I know the struggle of trying to live this out. But when the church gets uh, this reality in their mind, when they get a vision for that, they begin to minister with excitement and wonder. And their hearts begin to be full of praise to God. And so our gifts were given to us, not just for our own enjoyment, but essentially for the benefit of others. As 1 Corinthians twelve seven says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So these wonderful gifts, just like Christmas presents, are given and received. They're opened and used and shared with others. But what if you gave a gift at Christmas and after Christmas Day, your gift was largely unused? Maybe it sits in the corner or it was forgotten. How would you feel? Well, from the end of verse 10 in our text, we see that God, as the gift giver, expects us to be responsible with what has been given to us. Verse 10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so again, Peter, talking to this body of believers who are suffering, he reminds his spiritual children that having received these spiritual gifts, they're now responsible to God to open them up, to begin to use them in the proper way, to mature in them, and to wrap their lives around them. To faithfully administer in this context means to become a faithful manager of God's property. So he's not only entrusted us with a ministry within the body of Christ on his behalf, but he's also equipped us with gifts to work out that ministry. And we're accountable before him to be good stewards of this new life in him, which includes our spiritual gifts, our time, and our ministries. And so the last point this morning from verse 10 is that all believers should faithfully administer their gift or their gifts. But then Peter sums up his encouragement by pointing the believers to God. Just as God has done for us, He's offered them by His grace the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and a place in the body of Christ. He's given them their spiritual gifts and their ministries inside and outside of the church. He reminds them that they have been given so much. And in spite of their difficult persecution or their trials, they were encouraged not to focus on their suffering, but on the wonderful spiritual gifts that they had been given 
to be used in the midst of that suffering. And so, in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking more about spiritual gifts, and we're going to attempt to to answer some questions like, how does the Bible describe spiritual gifts, and what are they? How do they work within the body of Christ? And how do I discover my own gifts? When can I begin to wrap my life around my gifts and express them within the body of Christ and in the world around me? How can I know the spiritual gifts of my brothers and sisters? And how can I help my brothers and sisters find their gifts? All kinds of great questions. But before we dive into those questions... I thought we should begin this morning by committing all that we are to God and that all that we do for the glory of God. Because the enemy does not want you to know your gifts. The enemy does not want you to use your gifts. So he's going to try to distract us or he'll try to divide us and all of those strategies that he tries to make the body less effective. And so at the outset, I believe we should commit ourselves uh, once again, to the truth found in 1 Peter 4.11. And together we're going to read and commit ourselves to the truth of this verse in the days ahead. 1 Peter 4.11 says, and say it with me, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. 